0: I'm Alex Shaw
1: I'm Sharon Shaw And welcome
0: welcome to to... School of Movies (laughs) The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert If you don't mind me asking,
2: what kind of cabaret do you do?
3: We dress up in women's clothes and parade around, mouthing the words to other people's songs I've um, been asked to do a show out of town You've got to be joking hereby christen this budget Barbie camper Priscilla queen of the desert
2: you actually make money by dressing up like a woman you can make a fine living in a pair of heels
4: but then I nights
3: how long have we been on the road four and a half hours and I learned I mean, who is the fish that runs this bloody hotel in the middle of nowhere anyway? Your mother? No, my wife. I'm married. <laughs> Sorry.
2: You got us into this, and I suggest you start thinking about how to get us back. <laughs> oh, it's nice, in a hideous sort of a way.
0: This episode was commissioned by Kevin Vahey, who very specifically wanted us to cover something LGBTQ-centric for all of his and all of our friends for whom that applies. Because when celebrities are deliberately shitty about trans people, you wonder what you can do to help. And I know that Kevin is powered by kindness, and that's what we'll be keeping in mind throughout this one. So this is an odd little film in retrospect. It's not massively well-known in regular movie-going circles. It was groundbreaking at the time in terms of what it was throwing up on screen that few others wanted to. And probably for some people watching now, just a little bit problematic. But there's good things too, and it's absolutely worth watching. But making up our oddball trio as we hurtle across the outback is Victoria Luna B. Grieve
5: hello thanks for inviting me i think the commissioner even said something about hoping that i would be the person on here and it only positively
0: insisted
5: (laughs) and it only makes sense right you need to have one trans trans woman on this ride
0: (laughs) Well it is oddly appropriate but we are going to be <laughs> consulting on many issues that uh, Victoria uh, who is going to have a sharper understanding of than uh, than us uh, you're effectively our consultant specialist uh, fact checker and um, translator uh, yeah real life <laughs> reality check that's ABBA probably Abba right enthusiast
5: what we're yeah, yeah. Like the whole thing Thank
0: you. Oh, we're all all, uh, enthusiasts here, darling. I I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Similarly, Sharon is an additional specialist on feminism that we have here. My job as a pansexual, cisgender, white guy will be to listen carefully to what these two have to say and update the information on the fly to make sure that you listeners get the most authentic and well-reasoned appraisal of this one. As far as coming out goes, that is the first time that I've confirmed this particular fact on the show, mainly because it never really seemed massively important to confirm before. May as well put it out there now on this. It's, it feels oddly appropriate. I'm I'm also sure a lot of you already know, because they saw me mention it on Twitter some while ago when people were coming out as as bisexual, and many more of you probably guessed in context, because there's only so many times you could talk about Chris Hemsworth without people going, I, f- I feel like a certain, yeah, just a, you know, bi-dar tingling. So there that is. Uh, on to Priscilla.
2: Hey.
6: The things you'll never do But I wish someone had to talk to me Like I wanna talk to
0: you Ooh, been... Written and directed in 1994 by Stephen Elliott, the director of the Phil Collins movie Frauds. This stems from a decision to put a personal little spotlight on Australia's then relatively hidden gay scene. Like, they had uh, a a parade every year that was a huge, like, carnival, and, you know, that made a big deal about it. But uh, the perception of, we're only a few years out from Crocodile Dundee, which, by the way, we'll be mentioning later. So it's almost like Australia had only just been discovered by the rest of the world. So then this uh, little movie was like, oh, yeah, Australia has a gay scene as well. Actually, we know that we know a few things about Stephen Elliott in terms of uh, what, what he was doing at the time and what he then went on to. Uh, but from the sounds of it, uh, Stephen Elliott was not approaching the Australian gay scene as an outsider. This was very much something he was um, closely connected to. So he wanted a sense of authenticity to what he was doing. However, we also know from listening to the commentary... That it's it's kind of a uh, you know we're just trying to have a muck around that it was never intended to be this big statement and it was never intended to be uh, something that would uh, redefine people's perspectives on uh, homosexuality or trans identity but that because there's nothing else there was very little else to really go by at that point it kind of fell upon the uh, the ones that were breaking the new ground to feel important.
1: Well, going by a lot of the stuff that he said in the commentary and in, in making of material, I mean, he's he's been with his partner since the late 80s. <laughs> so the mid-90s when this um, film was made, he'd been part of the gay scene in Sydney for quite some time and was very... Uh, enthusiastic, shall we say, about the drag scene in Sydney and and had a lot of friends in who moved in those circles and was very impressed by it and really enjoyed his time um, in that sort of entertainment environment. And that was kind of what he wanted to spotlight and what he wanted to make the film about.
5: This movie's surprisingly well-known in America, actually, both in and out of gay the gay community because uh, something like fifty-five different, like, big TV stations actually licensed it following the nine-eleven attacks because it was considered light and, like, like fair that people would want to see and help everybody with the cultural mood. So it actually was on TV a lot, uh, and so much so, like, it, it's enough of a cultural force. There was a Broadway musical of it.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: Like, they actually made a full like Broadway production. So. Don't not
0: surprised. By the way, this thing lends itself to Broadway musical. Well,
5: the, I, I'm impressed they kept in the ping pong scene, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Did um, she fire them into the audience? Yes.
0: Oh my god.
5: <laughs> um, so, so like that's impressive. But but this movie is perhaps surprisingly well known in a lot of, uh, of circles in America, specifically if you were like in your 20s, in the early aughts.
7: Mm.
5: It's like a real specific thing, but like, I know, a, like, everybody I know of a certain age knows of this movie. Mm.
0: We begin in Sydney, which is Australia's metropolitan capital. A performer named Mitzi Del Bra on stage and... Anthony Tick Belrose offstage is a neurotic gay man played by Hugo Weaving, and he's asked by Marion, his plain speaking, supportive but estranged and separated wife, to come and put on a show in Alice Springs. For perspective, if you imagine this country as a giant fried egg, this is the equivalent of traveling from the crispy southeast corner of the white. 2,700 kilometres to the dead centre middle of the yoke, where it's hottest. The outside of this enormous island is where most of the white people live, and the inside is the outback. It is monumentally scorching there, around about 102 degrees Fahrenheit. It is indeed a desert. Aborigines live there, having been grudgingly granted the territories that the white settlers considered too bloody hot to live in. Accompanying Tick is Adam Whiteley, another gay man and drag queen performer named Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, played by Guy Pearce. Only it would be more accurate to say that Adam allows his antagonistic, fearless, sharp-tongued Felicia persona to pretty much run the show 24-7. Adam begs his mother for money to buy a dilapidated bus under the pretense that he might meet a lovely country girl who could get him over this gay phase. The bus is the titular Priscilla, and it's going to take them nearly a week to get to where they're going. And they need one more performer along for the ride and ask Bernadette Bassinger, played by Terence Stamp. There was a lot of casting about for his role. It took a a lot of time for Terence to fill this particular one. Unlike the other two, Bernadette is transgender, and sadly she is grieving the recent death of her young boyfriend, Trumpet.
5: She, she specifically refers to him as a, well, what we would now call a chaser, uh, somebody who fetishizes trans women and, right. uh, and creates a relationship out of that. And they were positioned to be married, I believe, is even what she was hoping for. Right.
0: So, she almost immediately clashes with Felicia, and the adventure begins as they head west to this show that they got to put on, and another surprise from Tick. And the Australian backdrop makes this often beautifully photographed odyssey, Florence of Arabia. And yes, this movie bears a striking resemblance to an American film being made at the same time called Too Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Love, Julie Newmar. The team at Priscilla found out about that American film while they were making this one. And if you listen to our Cutting Class episode, you can hear a little bit more about it. But back to Priscilla. Notably, these three between them, Terrence Stamp, Guy Pearce, and Hugo Weaving, have taken on Superman, Iron Man, Captain America, the Autobots, Emperor Palpatine, Sauron, and Neo. Yeah. So this is not a bus to be fucked with.
5: (laughs) Not at all. And, and, And they do incredible jobs in this movie. Like honestly let's talk about
0: that because that the first bit is basically that we can we can talk about these three various characters who do you want to get your teeth into first we got mitzi felicia and bernadette
5: there is a generational context to this film too, that I think is perhaps unintentional, but just written into the characters. Bernadette was originally a drag performer, Mm -hmm. uh, before she came out and transitioned well before the events of the film. She was one of the lay girls as uh, they keep mentioning. She was well known in that respect. And, uh, Transitioned uh, after That performance it kind of like fell out of It and she's definitely representing an Older generation than the other two mm-hmm. Because um, Mitzi uh, if we Wanted to use their stage names uh, Is actually of an older Generation than Felicia mm-hmm. And they they all Represent a very specific like Strata of the the Gay community that like I've experienced And that I've seen referenced in other Places Adam Felicia is young and vibrant and petulant and abused question mark. And, uh, just trying to like be out and in everybody's face. We have tech, Anthony, Mitzi, agent Smith, who is, um, <laughs> <laughs> who, who is personally, um, I want to go
0: with show names just as we're going through. Otherwise we're going to be, uh, going through so many names. Everyone's going to get yeah. their head spun around. So Mitzi, okay. Felicia, Bernadette.
5: So it, it is very specific in the early part of the film, they refer to each other as Mitzi and Felicia a lot more and mm. by the end are referring to each other as Adam, Adam and Anthony. Anthony mm.
7: yeah.
5: um, but Bernadette is Bernadette. Yeah, and
0: I, yeah. There's, really no, there's no... Uh, Bernadette is not a drag queen because Bernadette is a woman.
5: Mm. Yeah, and Bernadette used to be a drag queen in mm. a sense, uh, which, like I say at work, whenever what I want to say is, Oh yikes! It's there's a lot to unpack here. So um, Mitzi is of an older generation than Felicia and has a lot of internalized shame, internalized homophobia, mm-hmm. and uh, this kind of dark secret with the the wife and. Kid, we, we can
0: spoilers? we can spoil this. Yeah, like, yeah as it turns out, um, the flashback we keep having to uh, um, Mitzi in a uh, hospital in a. Remarkable. Dress Wearing a chandelier. Oh. Wearing apparently a chandelier is is basically being told you have a son. It's a boy. And when we finally get to meet Benji, uh, the estranged wife has been living on on her own as a single mother, raising him to be an eight year old kid. We'll Not talk about the whole him.
1: Time. She had a girlfriend, ah. but uh, Benji yeah. points out she got over her.
0: I completely <laughs> forgot she she had a girlfriend. Okay, so that's ultimately Mitzi. Uh, tick is Hugo Weaving is filled with anxiety when he finally meets his son. He won't be able to say I'm gay. He won't be able to say this to reveal, as you said, uh, his deep dark secret. But the boy's like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. I like Lego, and <laughs>
7: yeah,
0: <laughs> and uh, like he's he's a sweet natured kid who is totally accepting and has been raised in acceptance, and that's the the the. Like, it's almost like Hitchcock. Would have said, you know, like, or oh, you want to reveal that he has a boy far earlier, just so that we can we can sit with um, with Mitzi and and his uh, his anxiety over this. Uh, instead, we find out just before we meet this kid. Uh, but uh, yeah, as, as I said, it turns out to 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 be a, a happy ending in that regard because ultimately Mitzi's neuroses are unfounded. Because he is immediately accepted. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, especially yeah. as as a estranged father who hasn't been there for Benjamin, you could imagine a certain level of "fuck you." Yeah,
5: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I think that that in, in this generational like text reading of the story that I'm going through, Benji almost represents like another, like even younger generation than Adam. Mm-hmm. Er, uh, Felicia in the sense that like it just fully the idea like almost the the still as of 2021 unrealized ideal of just like casual acceptance where Mm -hmm. it's just oh yeah I know what you do are you gonna uh, do I get to see your ABBA performance I heard it's really good that's so important I think Mm -hmm. because this movie was in 94 so in the 90s it was kind of a weird time for uh uh, trans for trans and gay people for the whole community in basically everywhere, like I, I can obviously only really speak to the American perspective. But from what I've looked at, it's actually very similar to the Australian one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were just coming out of all of the the stigma of the HIV AIDS epidemic of the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. because we were starting to uh, actually have affordable medications for that. And people were actually able to be treated. And a lot of the stigma was going away. But that created a lot of other dynamics that Uh, this movie ends up sort of unintentionally exploring because it was made in the 90s Uh, like a lot of the language that has changed before and since um, is kind of a big thing like Bernadette always refers to herself as a transsexual when that was the terminology in the 90s but it has evolved quite a bit in the 20 years since and the idea of somebody like Tick being married to somebody who is at least bisexual if not more sapphic uh, in in the sense of like a lesbian and a gay person marry each other for the benefits, but then like have partners or separate afterward, or like the, these broken marriage stories that, that I remember seeing a lot in the, in the nineties or hearing a lot of that kind of stuff in the nineties, like the stigma and the shame around it. Mm-hmm. But then you have like this younger generation that is like fully out, fully like embracing, willing to uh, see even that's a little too nice for Felicia because she's really putting on quite a, he is really putting on quite a front mm. uh, in, in a lot of ways being like, this is my identity mm. and I'm going to be embracing it and really upfront with it and make sure everybody knows and nobody's going to stop me. I'm stronger than, than all of this, which we see gets him into a lot of trouble later in the film. And then we see this hopeful future in the generation for Benji of the just passive placid acceptance like oh this isn't weird at all this is yeah, totally this normal is what it is. Yeah. this is just what it is
1: yeah. and I'm, I'm really pleased and, and fascinated that you picked up on the generational thing as well Victoria because that was one of the big things that really stood out to me watching it this time is how that Uh, that identity exploration is is in different stages for each of them, so you've got Bernadette who as you say comes from an older generation, has been through uh, multiple iterations of who she is she's had um, different swings at the identity that she's comfortable in as it were, and um, has arrived at a place where she is, she knows who she is, she knows who she is in terms of how she relates to other people such as as Trumpet and, and the various other people that she interacts with, and she knows her place in Sydney, if not quite her place in the world at large. Um, and she, for me, Bernadette is the heart and soul of the film, sort of throughout the the way it plays through. And she is very um, significant for the the underpinning human drama that comes through a lot of the the what can be very scathing humour at times of the film. Mitzi, as you say, is, is sort of this caught in the middle generation and he seems very sure about who he is what what tick is struggling with is how he relates to other people this is who i am and i'm comfortable with that but how does that relate in terms of my wife how does that relate in terms of my son how does that relate in terms of my friends that's the bit that he is struggling with and tick is a very uh What's the word I'm looking for here? In fact, you said neurotic. Mm. Yeah, he's, he is a very, very anxious person. Yeah. And he's very aware I'd say anxious
0: of... rather than neurotic. Yeah, know, okay. Because uh, okay. neurotic is almost like... <laughs> Constantly talking about it, tick pushes everything inside, yeah. and it takes a while for them to pick yeah. it out. Well, of it.
1: neurotic is kind of an old-fashioned way mm. of saying anxious, so yeah. um But yeah, so so everything he does sort of has this this thread of anxiety running through it. And then Adam, particularly as it pertains to his his Felicia persona, he is still in that explorative phase of trying to work out who he is full stop, never mind how he relates to other people, never mind what his place in the world is. Um, His his age means, I mean, uh, I think Guy Pearce was about 26, 27 when they made this, so he is obviously a little older than the character is supposed to be played. But he is going through... Uh, a phase of trying to work out well I I kind of know bits of who I am but I'm not 100% sure and how I present that to the world is going to come in different ways and it's all tied up as well with a fairly natural early 20s rebellion against the economic privilege that he's been born into so as well as having um, questions about his own identity sort of in a vacuum he's also got this trying to break away from... his parents and so you you get to see these different aspects of how all of them view themselves and then as you say you've got Benji uh, sort of as this younger generation bringing up the Rhea and we don't get a lot of input on how Benji sees himself but it would almost be very fascinating to see a sequel to this about how Benji grew up and how he viewed himself and the world. I feel
0: like most of them would come back for it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Victoria, go.
5: Uh, Okay. So if we wanted to talk about individual characters, Mm -hmm. Bernadette is a... All three of the characters are a surprisingly authentic look at very specific experiences that are very prevalent in, like, the LGBT community. Like, I know people who basically are each of these characters. Bernadette specifically feels very relevant because she, she stands aside from the other ones because she is a trans woman and her experience is therefore like very different. And there's a lot of stigma in translating and conflating being trans, being a trans woman and drag and drag culture. But there's also, and also drag culture, which I'm sure we're gonna have to talk about at some point is like deeply misogynistic in a lot of ways and um, very problematic towards trans women. But a lot of trans women, when they are younger, before they are out, before they have the words to understand what is going on and who they are, we get involved in a lot of gay culture because it feels more personal. It feels more right. It feels more comfortable because these are other weirdos like us. And I can appreciate a lot of what's going on here. So, like, I personally know quite a few trans individuals or non-binary individuals who found a lot about their gender from doing drag performances drag queens or drag kings and um the, the the problem then becomes with like there's a lot of stigma like i said with that kind of campy performance and then the reality of oh my gender is actually different and bernadette to me really feels like that character who was very prevalent, even though we know that she knew who she was in that respect from a very young age with that flashback. Uh where she Yeah, she explained the flashback. Gifts. Yeah. So there's a quick flashback later on. There's there's actually a flashback for each of the three characters. Oh, yeah. And they intentionally make it so they are not uh they're not a hundred percent trustworthy. All yeah. three of the flashbacks, mm-hmm. uh, A little bit of uh, stylization
0: and uh, well, embellishment, and especially,
5: and especially since uh, Tick's flashback changes, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, between between the two times we see it.
0: Well, the second so, time Bernadette's there and then faints.
5: All, all, all three, three of, of them
0: Bernadette.
5: are there. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. yeah. 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 Um, and three of them being Bob being the last one, which we'll need to come back to Bob. But okay. Bernadette um, is she? She is somebody who grew up in this culture who. Like came out, transitioned, like probably learned a lot about her gender, even though she knew that she was more of a girl at a very young age, and then moved away from being in drag, from being a part of that culture. Because at the beginning of the movie, we see that she is pretty well removed from it. And in almost every performance that she's a part of throughout the film— she kind of looks miserable, like... like
0: Certainly uncomfortable, yeah.
5: Yeah, more stone-faced, more, like, rigid in movements. Um, and she's supposed to be, or she was, this, like, really well-known performer. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, vanished from that circuit because she came out and transitioned. And <laughs> as she put it, got the chop, which, like, whew! Um, <laughs> uh, so, but... So so she still has a lot of internalized transphobia, but also internalized like worthlessness, which is one of the reasons why she's with Trumpet at the beginning of the movie, because I mean, this is a this is a movie about, uh, you know, going across a long distance. It's a road trip film. So everybody goes on a trip emotionally as well. Uh, And hers is at the beginning of the film. She has an internalized feeling of worthlessness because and that's why she is. Dating and trying to be with somebody who is a quote-unquote chaser somebody who is fetishizing of the trans experience Uh, which is like a really demeaning place to be in but for a lot of people It's maybe the first relationship where they feel like they're Really valued as who they are Mm -hmm. when in reality they're objectified Mm -hmm. Uh, like, you know all of us trans women have dealt with a chaser at some point and um it's a really weird experience, but I know plenty of people, again, like Bernadette, who will, like, grab onto that and be like, well, this is validation, this is this is showing me who I am, mm-hmm. and Trumpet's death, his tragic death asphyxiating on his own hair-lightening products <laughs> uh, uh, it, at the beginning of the film is what pushes Bernadette to, I mean, you know, she's depressed, but kind of not really like she, she said but it's it was very complicated the way that she was portrayed so, she, so effectively, she's, um,
0: she's she's she begins in a place where she is allows to fool herself that mm-hmm. she's being cherished, and then Trumpet gets taken away from her. So she's left kind of in this horrendous vacuum and just twirls into the bus, mm-hmm. uh, and and just kind of like there's almost a bit of a the show must go on about her, like you know just yeah, keep going through the tears.
1: She's going through a. a Perfectly understandable and perfectly normal human grief process as well, mm-hmm. because ultimately, however complicated her relationship with Trumpet was,
7: she still loved he it.
1: was he was there in a, a regular part of her life. And now he's not anymore. So she's got to process that, too.
5: And to a certain extent, she is still embodying some of the uh, cultural proclivities, could I say, about the gay culture that she sort of left because Trumpet was half her age as mm-hmm. well, um, they mention. Yeah, and yeah. later on, uh, as she develops a relationship with Bob, who at the start I was always I was always like, oh, are you are you kind of a chaser too? And then it's like, no, actually, he's kind of genuine about like he's actually like a genuinely good dude. Yeah, he's
0: a gentleman. Uh, except there's there's one bit when I'm like, oh come on, Bob, take this with yeah. good graces. But that's <laughs> yeah. tied in with a whole bunch of other
5: problems. Yeah, which will which which we will definitely have to. Oh yeah, back put a pin read. in that one. <laughs> Yeah, Put I a ping pong in that one. Woofda, um, <laughs> But, yeah, even Bob, who is ostensibly just, like, a straight dude that they run into. Just a grizzled uh,
0: old Australian prospector.
5: Yeah, he even he ha- is much more complicated. So, Bernadette, throughout this experience, uh, oh, and Bernadette's connection is Tick, is Anthony. Hmm. Because they knew each other. It was almost like while Anthony was getting into drag performing, Bernadette was leaving it. So they had some kind of interface there. Mm. While Adam only knows about Bernadette from like rumors and story, which is why he ends up dead naming her a bunch of times, uh, which is so uncomfortable every time it happens. Mm. Um, I think it's
0: especially uncomfortable because the movie seems to think it's funny.
6: Well, that, it, that's
0: that, the 90s. that taunting trans women with their prior names is is like, Jerry and Tom.
7: Mm.
0: And it's like, n- no.
1: I kind of, I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt because the first couple of times it happens, Anthony's reaction is, no, don't, you don't do that. And certainly Bernadette always responds uh, very strongly to it. But Well, she kicks that, the shit out of Adam she, the well, first
7: yeah.
1: time. <laughs> the... Um, the what I think the bit that I found most frustrating was that the very last time they do it, yeah. it is totally played for us.
0: It's totally played for us because um specifically Adam teaches
1: Benji to, Benji do, it. to do
0: it. She's like yeah. he's like, bye Ralph, and then we close like as the bus is driving away because Bernadette stays with Bob it's like Bernadette's trying to sort of get back on, on her feet and find something new. And this fucking dead name comes slamming back in her face and the camera sort of zooms in in this almost like Roy Scheider in Jaws. And she's like, oh, you. And it's, no, this is not an oh, you moment. This is shit that Adam should have got the fuck over.
5: Mm, yeah. And, and I think that, I, I, a lot of credit to uh, Terrence Stamp, I think you said the name was. Mm. Terrence Stamp. Um, he,
0: Kneel he, before Zod
5: he portrays that conflicting emotions of being hurt and being angry so well every time. Mm. Uh, And a, a thing that actually really frustrates me is all of the listings of this movie, the cast listings actually has Bernadette listed under the dead name. Like the character is listed in the IMDb and like on Google as the dead name, which is, Shockingly emblematic of a particular perspective from the '90s that is still very odiously with us today. Mm,
1: yeah. I, I
5: could. Okay, I could Do.
1: almost understand it if you got a flashback where Terence Stamp was actually playing her pre-transition. Right. But you don't. The only time you see Ralph, it's as a child. In a it's Christmas And played story. by a completely different actor.
7: <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's like the 1940s and, and Ralph's um, uh, uh, switched labels. <clears> hmm. <throat> yeah Ralph has switched labels on the uh, Christmas present, so his kid his sister got a cement truck which is like no kid's gonna be oh yay a cement truck yeah. um,
1: <laughs> okay and
0: Ralph got the, the baby doll but, like, if which
1: to look- me that instantly opens up all sorts of questions about why you're freaking out that a boy wants a doll anyway <laughs> yeah
0: but like his parents are shown to be fucking morons anyway yeah. so that it's uh, like ultimately it implies that Ralph has had to struggle mm. uh, and and that's about all that we get in that regard mm. but the so the rest of it all comes through terence stamps brittle performance mm.
5: yeah and and with perspective on the kind of community that she would have kind of like blossomed in mm. uh given the mid-90s
2: four weeks equity minimum two shows a night accommodation included i can't just sit around here crying all the time jesus my mascara keeps running, I look like a raccoon. <laughs> Good girl, that's the spirit. <laughs> Here's hoping the desert's big enough for the two of us.
3: Uh, three of us. A desert holiday, let's pack the drag away. You take the lunch and tea, I'll take the ecstasy. Fuck off, you silly queer, I'm getting out of here. A desert holiday, hip, 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 hooray. Why?
2: Why not? Look, he's turned into a bloody good little performer. That's right, a bloody good little performer. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I thought we were getting away from all this shit.
3: Two's company, three's a party, Bernadette, my sweet.
2: We're unplugging our curling ones and going bush, Felicia. Why would you possibly want to leave all
3: this glamour for a hike into the middle of nowhere? Do You really want to know? Desperate. Well, ever since I was a lad, I've had this dream. A dream that I now, finally, have a chance to fulfil. And that is? To travel to the centre of Australia, climb King's Canyon, as a queen, in a full-length Gautier sequin, heels and a tiara. Great. That's just what this country needs. A cock in a frock on a rock. Oh,
0: get back in your kennels, both of you. It's noteworthy, by the way. Crocodile Dundee, I mentioned before, was 1986, so that is eight years before this. Um th- have you seen the film?
5: Oh yeah yeah I've seen Crocodile right.
0: Dundee. A, a lot of younger listeners won't have seen it because this is one of those like best left in the 80s films. <laughs> but there is a bit where Crocodile Dundee like the, the whole point of the film is Australia. Look at that. Isn't that fun? And and that, that's it. <laughs> it's it's just Australia. Who'd a thunk it? And they <laughs> Like, this reporter goes to Australia to interview an Australian man about being Australian. (laughs) And she's like, so what's it like being Australian? No, she's American. So what's it like being Australian? He's like, well, you wrestle crocs all day and then you dance with Sheilas and drink beers. And it's Paul Hogan, who, by the way, has fucking shit politics in real life, so I have no problem making fun of Crocodile Dundee. I mean, and, they
5: call it Foster's, right? They'd be drinking Foster's. It's Australian that's for beer!
0: beer. <laughs> anyway, so it's...
1: Although he did also advertise Castlemaine 4X, which apparently Australians don't drink.
0: Australians wouldn't give a <laughs> Castlemaine Forex for anything else. Anyway, there's a weird relationship between Dundee and this film, insofar as Cro- dundee like after interviewing him for a while nearly getting eaten by a croc and then going you know mr dundee i'm starting to fall for you australian tarzan by the way will works like you could do a, a modern day remake with hugh jackman and completely redress the balance of this fucking toxic shit that is riven throughout uh crocodile dundee but the drover here um he uh, he gets taken to America and he's like walking around the street going, "Wow, New York! There's lots of people. I don't know what that's like at all." And then he's like, "You know, you got two dunnies," and it's like, "Well, no, one of them's a beat, one of them's a bidet for washing your ass," and like shouts it out the window. And It's like, "Oh, the Australians—they're so broad." Um, anyway, so there's one bit. <sighs> He's in a bar, a lady comes on to him, he goes, oh yeah, I kind of like you, and then his laughing new American friends go, ha ha ha, that's a bloke. So then he goes back to this person, grabs their crotch in the bar, embarrasses the shit out of them, and they run away, while all the blokes laugh. Then later, at the ambassador's reception, there's Ferrero Rocher everywhere, he's introduced to a rich older woman, with a certain masculine energy about her. The joke is, she's ugly and rather mannish. And upon greeting her, he grabs her crotch, just to check. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Oh, crocodile Dundee. <laughs> but back to Priscilla. They pitch up in a place called Coba which is basically where Mick Dundee would have grown up with with these like bushmen, and uh, Felicia ends up getting assaulted, but nearly getting fucking murdered. Let's face it, um, for the effectively the gay panic um, defence. Mm-hmm.
5: Absolutely, it's bone chilling. Exactly.
0: Okay. But the for all of the faults of this movie, it appears to have looked at Crocodile Dundee and gone, "Well, that's atrocious. Let's focus on the uh, uh, the uh, the." the people who are the victims of these particular assaults mm-hmm. and humanize them throughout the film so that you actually feel that mm-hmm. as opposed to it's a joke.
5: Yeah. yeah. One thing that Crocodile Dundee did to benefit this film in America anyway is that a lot of the depictions of Australians in American media, certainly in the ni- like 80s and 90s, was look at these people that are outside the, the culture, outside the normal and like humanize them a little bit or like attempt to in it's it's hard to say that it started with crocodile dundee because that's such a cartoonish overrepresentation of that like bushman kind of persona but it is the way that americans were introduced to australian personas mm-hmm. and and it, it helped some people like appreciate this film more because it was australian because they already had that representation of like oh these people are quote unquote queer to our culture but so are these other ways so like it's it's okay because it's australia Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing i was reading an article about that specifically the that that one like positive knock-on effect from crocodile dundee to this in the american culture yeah (sighs)
0: Anyway, sorry, we've talked about that for so long, but um, no, it's
5: it's fine. Well, that's also very specifically representing um, the kind of anti-trans narrative in Australia and all of the other colonies of Mm. the British, Mm. Uh, because anything that was a British colony automatically had the anti indecency laws Mm. that were part of all of the colonial statutes. Uh, It's why a lot of um, like African and a lot of a lot of other that's why a lot of the places in the in the world. Uh, do not like trans people mm. is specifically because of British colonization and the statutes and the indecency clauses. Yeah. And it, it's but,
1: still there's still the, the uh, residuals of it at sort of outside the, the um, knock on effect that it has on on trans people today. That there are laws in in on the British statute books today where the criteria about whether or not an offense has been committed is would a quote unquote reasonable person have been offended by it? Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to have a really specific idea of what a reasonable person constitutes.
0: <sighs> Basically, in court, you shouldn't like there shouldn't be instances of your honour. You've seen Crocodile Dundee, right? That, that should not be part of the defence.
5: <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, on, the, on on one hand, the one the one small upside is now I can say instead of saying oh I'm a trans woman I can say I'm illegal in 37 countries right. uh, that's so much more dangerous
1: uh, Exactly. and we hope to bring that number down over the next few years mm.
0: okay right yeah. let's uh, get back to Priscilla uh, The because um, we can now like you mentioned misogyny and this film did actually come under uh, a, a lot of flack from specifically feminist groups who found its treatment of women to be really genuinely offensive and it would be easy for me to just wave that away and go it's a film about acceptance but there is some grounds to what they're saying Mm -hmm. and it would be easy for me also to say this is the beginnings of turfish um trans excluding radical feminism where it's these are just men i don't want them anything to do with our struggle uh, and discredit their any early claims on something like this as well this would eventually become something we are uh, that's that's genuinely troublesome and horrendous today right now however even though turfs have fucking mutated like tetsu in the past few years the treatment of cisgender women in this film is Problematic insofar as we don't get to know many, and the ones we do are not treated in a particularly good light. And as you said, that the whole drag queen aesthetic does have problems inherent to merely the just just the the humour around it. But when they go, one of the first towns they go to, this um, ruddy faced woman says,
6: "Well, look what the cat dragged in."
2: Hello. Could I please have a stallion tonic, a Bloody Mary, and a lime daiquiri, please?
1: What have we got here, eh? A couple of showgirls, have we? Where did you ladies come in from, Uranus?
2: Could I please have a stallion... No!
1: You can't have, you can't have nothing. We've got nothing here for people like you. Nothing!
2: Now listen here, you mullet. Why don't you just light your tampon and blow your box apart? Because it's the only bang you're ever gonna get, sweetheart.
0: This was guerrilla filmmaking, effectively. They were going to these towns and saying, can we do this? And just recruiting all the locals as extras. So Terrence Stamp was shitting his pants during this scene. Because effectively, he had to impress the entire bar with what is a really misogynistic comeback to that.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and uh, in the end, uh, gets into a, uh, a, a drinking contest with with her, which seems to be kind of a, uh, uh, a like a... Well, now, now that they've cleared the air, they can get into a drinking contest. So it's actually almost kind of reassuringly back to realism, considering what then happens to their bus.
5: Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's really important that it is this this stop where they seemingly make friends with all of the people at the bar mm-hmm. and they're like having a reasonable night and they, they break that tension. I think it's really important that it's this town that gets the... the the hate crime on their bus. Mm.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's no way that we can actually, that the words are not said out loud and, uh, there's no way we can uh, represent it through, uh, audio. So we're just going to have to say it, uh, scro- painted and daubed on the right side of the bus was <clears throat> my apologies. AIDS fuckers go home. Mm-hmm. And they end up buying uh, what they thought was lilac paint to, uh, to paint over it. Even the line in the uh, film is it's it's not. Uh, um
1: Says it's not purple, it's, it's not lavender. Not, it's not purple, it's, it's lavender. It's supposed to be lavender, it's not it's, it's pink. fucking
0: pink. Yeah. So the bus ends up pink. And the bus is supposed to end up pink on you know all over, but because of the way that they shot it, some of the shots they had to have a completely naked, unpainted unpaint, bus and some they didn't. So they did like a James Cameron's Titanic situation. Just painted the right side of the bus and flipped the frame when they had to have the bus going in the other direction. So That's uh, they, they they effectively they, they cover over the the, the hate. But there's a moment when when uh, they uh, stop in at a gas station and, and the uh, barely speaking clerk sort of looks out at this daubing on the side of the bus and doesn't say anything about it. But there's this kind of we're carrying this hate with us feeling. It's genuinely uncomfortable and clearly the film is trying to get you to to, to commiserate with, uh, with with the pain of. Um, of having to fucking bear this.
1: I really do like though the fact that they, and again, this comes back to the generational element. I think to a point, and and how different they are as characters as well. That they all have a slightly different reaction to it, yeah. and ultimately, although you know they all go and and sort of decide that they're going to get the paint and paint it over. It is Adam who actually is proactive enough to go right. Okay, we're stuck here. The engine's fallen out or something. They're stranded for a little while, and he's like, right, I am going to paint the bus.
5: Yeah, a big part of this movie is also the urban rural divide Mm. uh, in representation and in um, acceptance because they're essentially going from the most urban place that people can think of in Australia, Sydney, to. This other, what turns out to be a pretty urbanized place in Alice Springs, but they have to go through this big swath of what we in the States would call Trump country Mm. these days. Yeah. And, um, which is like also kind of derogatory in a way that I don't entirely intend, but is useful for this purpose. And
0: it does, unfortunately throw a lot of people under the, if you'll excuse the phrase bus, the, the,
5: the Priscilla under the, under the Priscilla queen of the desert. And, um, But but every they, they get they face some problem everywhere they go, even when they think that they have been accepted. And I think it's important that it's one of the very first towns they stop in that they go to the bar. They have this night where it seems like they uh, have found some kind of acceptance, some kind of appropriate placing and then you know a hate crime happens to their bus. and the next time they're in a similar town and they have this opportunity they tell adam to stay in the room and they go out and have like a quiet dinner instead of trying to go out and party it up and then more horrible shit happens to them but it's it's just that rural places in basically every country is more dangerous for queer people than urban places it is just a truism of the world as it stands right now. See
0: also people of color.
5: Yes. Oh my goodness. And there's a lot to talk about. Uh, people of color and other race-based elements of this movie, mm. uh, which we could get to later, maybe because mm. we haven't even technically finished talking about Bernadette. Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> well, uh, carry on talking about Bernadette, then. Let's. Uh, the, the only the stuff. only
5: thing the only thing I wanted to wrap up was very specifically how I said earlier that everybody changes emotionally. It's a trip emotionally. And Bernadette starts out with an internalized feeling of worthlessness and this, uh, very problematic internalization of relationships really that she carried over from her younger days to being a much more mature person, being much more, uh, like confident in herself, confident. She's always confident. It's, she feels like she's worth more. Mm. And Bob is actually, like, a really gentle, gentlemanly, like, really good influence on that. And she ends up being a really good influence on Bob. I mean, he stopped wearing khaki and actually wears things with colors after <laughs> he starts hanging out with Bernadette. (laughs) Good point. I hadn't noticed that. He was stuck as a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. The only time he goes back to the khaki Browns is whenever he's going to the booze up Mm. uh, before Adam in drugged out. Oh, he's an
0: honorary um, member of the bus crew. He gets his own flashback as well. Yes, he
1: does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But Um, yeah, and I, I think tying in with that sort of Bernadette coming into a sense of her own worth And and to a degree that that is partly to do with her having worth for the people she cares about and the people around her Um, is it, it comes in. There's a line that was actually cut out from it. It's in one of the deleted scenes. It's just before she goes in to talk to Adam after the attack. And she says something along the lines of, time for Auntie to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I, I mean, it, it's a better scene because it's tighter without it. But it, it, I was kind of a little bit sorry that they had to lose that line mm, because it's, it's, it's uh, Bernadette is not quite, um, she's not quite the crone. She's not. She's heading that way in terms of sort of wisdom and and advanced experience. She's got a little bit
0: of battle crown in there. Yeah,
1: she's she's got a little bit of that going on. But she also has this this wonderful ability to reassure. And it it comes out when she's uh, helping Adam get over what's just happened to him. It comes when she's talking to to Mitzi about his fears about being, you know, who am I as a husband? Who am I going to be as a father? And it's Bernadette who says... I think you have the potential to be fantastic with kids if you ever get the chance. She just has this this such a, um, and this is what I mean about her being the heart and soul. She is the, uh, the self-acceptance that she's come to. She is able to show them how to reflect that back. Hmm. Does that <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, make yeah, sense? No. Oh, yeah. And oh,
0: it also and, ties in with the fact that the thing, first thing she gifted herself mm-hmm. was the baby doll nurturing.
5: Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I knew this time would come, Sharon, where we would talk about the mother, maiden, and crone, because it does apply to this film. <laughs> it's almost inevitable. <laughs> it, it, it just happens every time. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, because, like, you know, Mitzi literally has a child, like, mm. is the parent parental role and then Adam is sort of the child uh, to a certain extent the the, the maiden question mm. mark uh it's it, it's remarkable how it still fits so well but That's yeah I, I wanted to make sure that we we Mentioned where Bernadette ended up, mm-hmm. like because she ends up in a in a much better mm. uh, position than where she started, as as all of them do. As yeah. you would,
1: and uh, it is want. it is an act of bravery on her part to do that because she also has. This but
0: that, by the way, sorry, all of them do except Adam, who should have not dead named Bernadette because that yeah. would illustrate he He's grew learning, a bit. He's learning,
1: but he doesn't. No, uh, yeah,
0: and is in fact spreading his poison to the next generation. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: God, no, we don't want
5: that. Luckily, we're living
0: in the real world.
5: That is is a very 90s kind of thing. I mean, like... We're talking the same decade that Ace Ventura: Pet Detective came out. Yeah. The most anti-trans film I may have ever seen, mm. without it being intentionally so. Yeah. But
1: um, but yeah, Bernadette choosing to stay in Alice Springs is is an act of bravery on her part because she's had this this wonderful little speech with Adam, and that um, following on from what you were saying, Victoria, about the the urban rural divide. Mm. Bernadette explicitly calls to that by talking about how Sydney, horrible and gross though certain elements of it may be, is a kind of a protective environment for them and for, for people like them and in their communities. And it has this thick layer of suburbia around the outside and she explicitly says, I don't know whether it's there to keep them out or keep us in, but mm-hmm. the implication is at the end of the day, it keeps us safe It, it or it keeps us safer than we would be otherwise. Because that's obviously not to say that, um, that there aren't dangers inherent in the city anyway, but by staying in Alice Springs, which while it is much more urban and much more accepting, is still at the heart of that sort of rural tone it's sort of a little oasis of acceptance because Marion, who, as we've established, is at least bisexual and possibly gay herself and has clearly gone out of her way to hire employees who will be much more chill with that kind of environment, even if even if the customers aren't, because when they play the show at the end, um, a lot of the customers are looking, you know, they clap politely, but they look somewhat nonplussed. <laughs> they are not used to drag acts, that much is evident.
7: Yeah, yeah.
1: But Bernadette has come to this this sort of island of uh, a different kind of acceptance to what she has uh, acclimatized herself to in Sydney and ultimately had to accept. I think she literally says of Trumpet at one point, he was better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and But here she's actually got an opportunity to have something that she chooses rather than having to settle for what was better than nothing.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she seems uncertain at the end, like... About her future, but hopeful, mm. and that's something that you really don't see in Bernadette in the beginning. Yeah.
3: <laughs> now, stupid. Uh, yeah. Well, listen to this one. After we did the ABBA show, Kevin had one of those liposuction penis enlargements. He didn't. Yep. Do you know what they do? They siphon all the fat out of your love handles and actually inject it into uh, your wing wang. Yucky tur. I suppose it gives a whole new meaning to cracking a fat, though, doesn't it? <laughs> 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 Oh, listen to yourselves. You sound like two fat slags of a pie bake-off. Well, your contribution to the conversation hasn't exactly made headlines, Bernice. No, I'll join this conversation on the proviso
2: that we stop bitching about people talking about wigs, dresses, bus sizes, penises, drugs, nightclubs on bloody Abba. Doesn't give
3: us much to talk about, then, does it? Hey, can you confirm a rumour for me? Is it true that her real name's Ralph?
5: Oh, boy, howdy. This is So here's a weird... Here's, here's a potentially problematic statement that I've heard a lot of times related to films like this or drag performances in general, is I have heard feminists refer to drag performances as the equivalent of blackface, but for women.
1: Yeah, I heard and, that
5: too. Yeah, like that... Feels disingenuous and and mm. definitely un, at best disingenuous. At best. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. certainly, uh, shall we say, like unfamiliar with the greater nuances of blackface in culture, mm. uh, yeah. to be generous to them, perhaps. But there's a there's a kernel of truth to it because mm-hmm. drag performances, and this is appropriate to talk about now, anyway, since we're going to be transitioning into talking about Mitzi and Felicia, mm-hmm. uh, that. Drag is a form of high camp that is taking the aspect in the iconography of femininity and then dialing it all the way up to 12, because fuck 11, that's for quitters. <laughs> and um, it, it is so potentially like problematic in a lot of ways, but celebrated in currently our, our like, larger culture. I mean, look at how many people watch RuPaul's Drag Race, which is such a stain on our culture i mean rupaul literally owns land that allows fracking on it and that's just like cool anyway um a lot of the terminology ends up being deeply misogynistic i was looking into it and like one of the at least current or semi-current uh slang terms in drag circles drag drag queen circles is fish Mm -hmm. when somebody is being very real They are. They might call them fish because it is supposed to be. Oh, you're so real. I can smell your pussy. That's not how they smell. First off, and these are all gay men. So, like, you can't see my face right now, and that's probably a good thing. Probably a good thing. Uh, Like, I've I have a lot of concerns if that is the way that it smells, and so so that that is just like like a guaranteed slang, and Mm -hmm. in a lot of drag. Performances in a lot of drag like circles, trans women are are specifically excluded mm. um, because that's not what it is. Tr- drag queens are more, most often, gay cis men, and
7: mm-hmm.
5: a lot of the terminology, uh, some of which the, all three of us have said during the course of this, because it comes up in the movie, are themselves. Uh, Almost slurs or dog whistles Against trans people So the idea of even the phrase Man in a dress Mm. Has been used in a very hateful way Against trans women Uh, The term female impersonator Is only drag queens Are female impersonators Mm. But it has been used In a much more hateful sense Around trans women So seeing this film So let let me back up one step To explain something about me when I first saw this film, I was uh, still very in the closet. Um, like, I knew kind of who I was, but I didn't know the language. This was in the early aughts, mm-hmm. and I predominantly associated with cis gay men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the local furry community, really. We all hung out together. I literally, the first time I saw this movie, was in a crappy basement apartment apartment in my like college area, packed with like twenty gay men and me, um, and uh, it was like this rip roaring good time. And you remember all the performances and then the like the the celebration of that. But Bernadette's pain, Bernadette's brittleness, and all of the things that that she goes through in it at the time were ignored because. That wasn't the the vibe, if you will, of the community that I was watching it with. Mm. And I have seen it since then, but that 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 particular viewing really sticks in my mind. And now, having watched it with all of my lived experience after that, and you know, coming out and beginning transitioning and like learning and advocating and becoming uh, something of an expert, I guess, the seeing this movie again is very complicated Mm. because it is representing a particular aspect of culture and the cultural response to what is essentially a countercultural like community from the 90s and it is astonishingly authentic and progressive in a lot of ways but also regressive in only in in how only the 90s could be Mm. if that makes sense I was going to say it's very genuine of the of the experience for all three of the characters, mm. for better or worse. Yeah, I think as well it's worth um, bearing in mind
1: that in the in the nineties and in the mid nineties particularly, it was a very confusing, changeable. A lot of things were shifting in the nineties in a way that was both really obvious and also really hard to spot unless you were looking for it. And I think in part that's uh, to do with what you mentioned about coming off the back of the 70s and 80s AIDS pandemic and how that was perceived and uh, media becoming more more willing to show gay people and, and trans people and people of alternative lifestyles Um, and and portraying them in a way that was um, accepting, but also was somewhat sanitised. While I I do get the misogyny accusations about some of the dialogue in this particularly, and specifically in how it pertains to the the handful, bare handful of, uh, of cis women who are in this film, the woman in the bar...
5: Cynthia. Cynthia. Oh no, wait, you're no, no, talking no, not not Cynthia, the, the Shirley.
1: Uh, Shirley, thank Shirley. you. Yeah. Uh, the
5: astonishingly butch woman as the, I saw her described in one of the <laughs> the critiques.
1: Indeed. Um who who goes up against Bernadette and regrets the shit out of it. I think the the language that Bernadette uses, that's such a wonderful mm. gesture. Oh, this Alex is great, just, radio. great for radio. But Alex has just done the gesture where Bernadette tosses her hair back, and oh my god, I feel that so much—such <laughs> <laughs> energy. But the 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 way uh, Shirley approaches her and Bernadette comes back to her. Yes, the language that she uses could be accused of being misogynistic. However, in the context of that particular conversation, one—it's self-defense. Two, Bernadette has to not only shut Shirley down, she has to make it very clear what she will not tolerate to everybody else in that bar. So, to me, if that's one of the examples that's being taken as misogynistic behaviour within the film, to me, that one doesn't count. Because, apart from the fact that it's, it's Bernadette saying it, not that it's okay when women are misogynistic towards other women, but... Again, the, the big element of it for me is that it's, she's, she's defending herself in the only way that, that is available to her. Cynthia is a whole other argument.
0: We can talk about Cynthia and the whole other argument if you like. Yeah.
1: Now. Well, actually, that's that yeah. might not be a bad idea because we can talk about Cynthia and then that nicely segues. There's into other Bob. things
0: mixed in there beyond just the fact that she's a yeah. woman. Yeah.
1: Okay. So um. Cynthia is. We've we've briefly spoken about Bob, who is kind of this prospector type, older, gentlemanly, decent um, guy who Bernadette ends up with, which I was so happy about. Um, but he has a wife.
0: Yeah, the other wife
1: <laughs> her name is Cynthia and it she is she is referred to by Adam at one point as a mail order bride so she's filipino
0: Actually, and I was going to read this entire thing. Okay. So rather than you trying to work out how to say it. You go. Yep. I will say what the complaint was. Mm. We can contextualize as much as we're able.
4: Yeah. I don't care if the sun don't shine. I get my loving in the evening time when I'm with my baby. No fun with the sun around, but I get going when the sun goes down And I meet my baby That's when we kiss and kiss and kiss and then we kiss some more Don't ask how many times we kiss at a time like this Who keeps score?
0: The film has come under criticism for alleged racist and sexist elements, particularly in the portrayal of the Filipina character, Cynthia. Melga Margeson of the Center for Filipino Concern stated that Cynthia was portrayed as a gold digger, a prostitute, an entertainer. She met Bob when he was in the Philippines. Hello.
4: Hello. Who are you? I your wife. Guess i be going home then.
1: Eh? No, you no going. I coming too. I your wife. See, I your wife
4: silly girl should have done her homework better <laughs> she was the, she thought i was from
2: sydney my god's name did you bring her home she was my wife
0: she is portrayed as a gold digger a prostitute an entertainer whose expertise is as we find out popping out ping pong balls from her sex organ a manic depressive loud and vulgar woman the worst stereotype of the filipina um, and like, again this is uh um, someone whose job it is to examine how people are, uh, uh, from, from her country are portrayed in entertainment. Um, she argued that by portraying Cynthia in this manner, the filmmakers were violently killing the dignity of Filipino women, something that she feared would lead to more violence against us.
7: Mm.
0: Now, producer Al Clark defended the film against these accusations, arguing that while Cynthia was a stereotype it was not the purpose of filmmakers to avoid the portrayal of vulnerable characters from specific minority backgrounds he stated that she was a misfit like the three protagonists are and just about everybody else in the film is and her presence is no more a statement about Filipino women than having three three drag queens is a statement about Australian Mm. men Mm. men (laughs) you're the fucking producer Al you don't know how to fucking word this Hmm. OK, so let's t- pick Ooh. that one apart. OK,
1: so nothing that Melba Marguson said there is not true. Yeah. And ultimately, I would say that it it comes down to it's all fine to argue that, that yes, she's a stereotype, but she's not representing an entire country. She's, you know, she's not um, meant to be taken that way. Yes, you can say that, but, and I've said this time and time again about um, having very, very few women in a film. Mm. The fewer you have, the less opportunity you give yourself to say these people are all individuals. And ultimately, like I said, there are very few women in this film. You've got Bernadette, you've got, or who are named characters, should I say. You've got, Bern- way, yeah. You've got Bernadette. Yeah. You've got Shirley, who is the 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 quote unquote very butch woman in the bar. You've got Cynthia. You've got uh, Adam's mother, who's in it very briefly. Marion. Mm. Marion, uh, who is Anthony's wife, and I would say out of all of them, Marion comes Marian off as fantastic. Marion is probably the the only one who is uh, portrayed and represented in a broadly sympathetic way. Hmm. Uh, And sorry, Marion and Bernadette are the only two who are portrayed in a a broadly sympathetic way. So from that perspective, there is a degree of balance, but... Cynthia ultimately is the only representation of a, a Filipino woman in this film, and I'm not saying they had to have loads. But the bottom line is there there's is also a not
0: lot... much in the way of Filipino women in films that are Generally watched by speaking, the mainstream at all. Yes, this sort of portrayal does have impact. Yeah, it does like the fucking ping pong ball trick ended up in uh, South Park, bigger and longer than uncut with a Ryder doing it, and she's just using a ping pong bat. But that became something that kind of seeped Mm. like poison into the mainstream of like understanding of this is just what happens but
1: also there is a broader context of the fact that there is a lot of anti-asian racism in australia a lot and ultimately cynthia is not only the only representation of a filipino woman she is also the only representation of an asian person at all
0: male female and it otherwise. is this
1: very broad stereotype that is uh, that is tied to um uh, women who married american gi's and australian uh, soldiers after the vietnam war and then came back with them and that is a harmful stereotype to perpetuate and the way she is addressed and the way she's uh, not just the way she's talked to and the way she's treated but the way her story is left doesn't have much to redeem it, and I think that is the difficulty cool. with it. There's, there's, I mean, even Shirley gets a reconciliation with Bernadette, mm-hmm. but Cynthia does not get anything that gives us a sense of she's she's got, you know, she's a, a multi-layered character with with basic human decency.
5: Cynthia is really the only character that's even depicted as all that sexual. Like her performance, like part of the reason that our main trio are so like shocked by her performance is that it is sexual like their performances in drag is like with that heightened campiness is inherently like it's playing with a lot of the concepts of like sexual attraction and sexuality but it is not a sexual performance Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah yeah
1: and I, I get the impression as well that part of why Bob is drawn to Bernadette and part of why his marriage to Cynthia is shown as being um, a poor fit for both of them is actually it's its not necessarily because Cynthia is a bad person or that what she does is inherently wrong. Certainly everybody else in the town seems to think it's great and they're quite happy that she's doing it. But, but fundamentally, her approach to what being a woman is, is antithetical to what bob's perception of being a woman is and bernadette is much more what bob perceives a woman ought to be dignified and uh caring and those are the qualities in bernadette that he
5: seems to be drawn to does that make sense yeah and bob's also uh very specifically worldly and uh experienced with like urban settings because he had seen bernadette perform Mm. many many years previously in sydney yeah
1: that's very true
5: so most of the other rural characters we run into are they only know that rural lifestyle while bob is very very specifically like like, no, I have seen the world. I've been all over and I came back here because it's very comfortable to me. It's where I, I feel like I belong. Mm. Uh, but I think that's important because since he ends up like part of the crew, as it were. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do think it's quite telling as well that the uh, the director had difficulty finding an actress who would do this performance. Um,
0: She was only in one other film, mm -hmm. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, where she played Rita Repulsa. I thought she
5: looked familiar. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. I feel
0: like that particular performance might stick to you. Uh, And yeah, at, at, at the absolute best, it feels like you could... You can interpret, if you're trying to give them the most benefit of the doubt, this lady is a born showwoman. She has one talent, and she fucking loves doing it. And (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that that Adam, Felicia, just, like, to start with, they're all shocked, but then Adam just starts laughing his ass off while she's uh, doing it because she just seems to be getting quite such a kick out of it. Mm. The whole well, room is just cheering and staring. Like The only person in the room really not having a great time is um, Bob, who then tears her down off the stage mm. and says, you bring shame upon me. And, that all, even that benefit of the doubt, like I said, the, the, the explanation is she's a misfit just like them. Yeah, but she's really horrible to him. She's spiteful and insults him and she forces herself into his life. It's 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 not a sympathetic character.
1: Mm, yeah, I think that uh, there's, uh, there's not much they could have done to bring it back. But honestly, I feel like some kind of connection with Adam... Would have been potential because she shares his exhibitionist tendencies. Yeah. Mm.
0: Mm. But it didn't happen, mm. so uh, we're left with the detritus.
1: Yes.
6: There's nothing-
5: swing to another brief conversation about race in this film and yeah. talk about the indigenous people that they interact with. That
0: was exactly what I was going to uh, to to make it um, uh, just, to, just to set the scene for the folks who haven't seen it the bus breaks down in the middle of the outback and there's this kind of like the camera pans out and out and out and out to show how deep in the desert and how remote and far from everywhere they are and just Adam shouts
8: shit 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 and it's
0: like Oh, they're going to die! Mm. In all re- in all reality, they're going to run out of water within the next two or three days, and without someone coming by, they're going to die. And notably, they they go off. Well, one one or two of them go off looking for help. A couple of uh, white people. What's that car? Pa? Um, drive past in, in a jeep.
1: golf cart. <laughs> in a.
0: <laughs> I thought it was a jeep. Oh, okay. but they, they, they drive past. They could help fix the bus, maybe jumpstart it, at least stop. And then they drive, is it Bernadette back?
1: To- yes, Bernadette's yeah. the yeah, one Bernadette. who's found them. And yeah. then she comes back. And they
0: them. drive Bernadette back. Then they take a look at the incredibly flamboyantly dressed uh, Tick who is just practicing mm. I will survive um, on the hill in this gorgeous green dress. And the two white people are like, uh, that's a bit too rich for us. And then they drive away, which is a great joke, but they're murdering these people. They're leaving them for death. It's like they're hanging on the edge of a cliff and these people are like, yeah, but you're so weird that we can't even pull you up off this cliff. Fuck you, die. And then they drive off and then a uh, uh, an aboriginal guy named Frank turns up. And is like, hey, how's it going? And uh, then asks them to come back to his uh, uh, his, his his family, and they. Uh uh, to begin with, it's kind of like, oh, what are what are these folks doing here? And then they put on "I Will Survive" in full costume, and everybody loves it. And then the Aboriginal people help them to fix the bus. So that is the portrayal of Aboriginals in this film, beginning to end, basically.
5: Well, th- there's there's a slight extra to it, and I do. I, uh, oh,
0: hang on, yep, yeah, no, there's another bit. Yep, yeah, you go for since, it.
5: Well, since we, well, you mentioned it, the the, the two shockingly white people drive away in their jeep but adam has just such a great line just mitzi i told you green's not your color
3: like, <laughs> i did set you
5: great up for that. Joke. that's a great joke but um so i, I think it's really important that the the Only real like ruralized people that they interact with other than Bob that are very favorable towards them end up being these uh, indigenous people, these aboriginal people. And uh, they actually – one of them ends up uh, getting – a whole outfit put on. Yeah, him taking and, part and, and in the
0: whole per- present production. It's Frank, the uh, the guy who found them, and Frank—that's
5: like, his
6: name—puts
0: on the uh, the, the full on silver outfit and just like is immediately incorporated into this. First, I was afraid. Yeah, I was petrified. Yeah. yeah. Gaynor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and, and yeah, it becomes like, like it, it. It illustrates a willingness to be like, oh, okay, cool. So, what's all this about? And, and they are clearly going out of their way in their '90s way to go look the only Aboriginals in this entire movie, and they're all cool. Mm.
5: Well, and and that is very, it, it may be unintentional, but one thing that is true from an anthropology perspective is a lot of Aboriginal and Indigenous cultures actually had a very favourable understanding of uh, this kind of cross-gender, transgender experience in, in however you want to depict it. And there has been, I was I was doing some research that there there even the Australian Aboriginals, these these ones in particular, had some understanding of a more expansive gender concept. The problem is, back to colonisation, mm-hmm. a lot of those records and things were beaten out of the culture be, by the colonisers. Because the Brits
1: go everywhere and teach everybody bad habits. As
0: they were being systematically eradicated because they were yeah. convenience. Yeah.
5: I, like there, there are so many instances of that. Like the... the Hijra in, in India and Pakistan and like the two soul in the Native Americans and like just so so much. Um th- th- there there's so many instances of indigenous cultures that are very embracing of like this, like trans individuals are usually seen as like a spiritual component. And then to to see like the one group of people that they run into that's actually pretty like positive. Uh, towards them is is this I I thought was really cool even though we didn't know as much about it in the 90s it was it it is still a truth that, that the film shows I
1: think as well and
5: you might be able to back me up on this Victoria
1: I did catch and it's it's very subtle it's mostly done by pure facial expression Um, But when Frank really gets into the dancing in this silver outfit, um, Bernadette and uh, Mitzi are kind of like raising eyebrows at each other, like, I I think we might have just awoken something there, which I thought was really neat. Um, But I I mean, just to to say about this section and one of the other things that I thought was really great about it was the touch of um, it being everybody in the camp is sort of putting their own contribution to the entertainment for the evening. So it, it seems to be hinted at that, you know, some people will sing and some people will tell stories and, um and that's, that's part of what they do and what, what brings them together as a group. And ultimately inviting Mitzi, Felicia and Bernadette to perform is, is a part of the, you're now part of our group. Just, just a nice straightforward, we entertain, we all do bits, you do a bit too. Mm. And, um and, as well as Frank getting costumed up and joining them in the dance, there's also somebody starts playing a... Um, my mind's gone blank. Didgeridoo. Didgeridoo, thank you. It was right yeah. there and just went. Accompanying
0: this disco classic.
1: Absolutely, which is brilliant. I just love the sound of it and how, how wonderful it incorporates into the um, into the music. I, I've seen it commented on by both white people and Aboriginal people that they, they felt that this showing them as as being sort of all cool with this and, and sort of making that presumption for them was disrespectful. However, I also read a piece which I have tried really, really hard to find because I desperately wanted to cite the author and I, I haven't been able to track it down, so I apologise for that. Um, but I found a piece that was written by uh, a, an Aboriginal person who is gay themselves and, and has, you know had a lot of experience within um both aboriginal and white gay communities who if essentially pointed out that you you can't really say it's it's disrespectful to show these people as being accepting because they have they a variety of reactions yeah. to mm-hmm. people of uh, differing genders and sexuality. It's not a, 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 you know, this culture is accepting and this culture is not. You have different people have different reactions. Mm-hmm. The group that they encounter here is is broadly accepting and broadly tolerant, but in a very human way it's it's you know we're human and we entertain one another and that's what you're doing too
0: see now that you talk about this i really wish that cynthia had actually had like monologues and she just sort of sat down with one of them and just talked about that you know i just wanted to entertain this is my one thing mm. and uh and just like you had been able to see a human side to her that that would have really helped the film but from when you listen to the commentary they had a lull in the middle of the film mm-hmm. they wrote this on fucking toilet paper or scrap paper that was the, that's how much thinking went into this we're holding them to account for stuff they just made up on the spot Th- this like we're lucky that they portrayed aboriginal people in this way but not even that much level of thought would have gone into it it was mm-hmm. just like right. right so uh aboriginal people they're they're you know shunned by white society These drag queens, they're shunned by white society, so let's just say that they all like Mm. each other. It's it's, that much... It's very broad strokes. It's it's not a complex film.
1: Yeah, it's worth observing that, unfortunately, the director also got into a scrap with the... Um, Uluru Council the, uh, yeah the Uluru Council because he wanted to fill. The,
0: I want to climb King's Adam, Canyon yeah
1: Adam has a line about a he queen. wants to climb King's Canyon in as a full a queen. length
0: goutier dress yeah. in heels and a tiara
1: that line about I want to climb King's Canyon as a queen works really well because it's King's Canyon mm-hmm. but originally they wanted to be climbing Uluru
0: Ayers Rock which folks.
1: at the time I, I think it had literally just gone from being known as Ayers Rock to, to right. being known as Uluru so
0: effectively yeah what they met with the council and the council were very frosty about it Mm. and uh the the director was angry because it's like this is a film about acceptance why can't you accept this Mm. ultimately they they said this is against our religion this is against our people and i can understand why an abused people would go cheers but no Mm.
1: and fundamentally as well the the Part of the point of, of getting the Aboriginal name of Ayers Rock uh, recognised and getting people to start referring to it as Uluru was because they were working towards we don't want people climbing it anymore because you're wrecking it. You, you Bits of it are being ground away and all the tourists keep coming and making a mess and we would
5: like you to stop, please.
0: In other words, Western society cannot be trusted.
5: Yes. I mean The modern day um, Aboriginal like perspective on... LGBTQ folks is actually really negative but it's because of the knock-on effects of the colonization and mm. it's been really hard to negotiate
2: Well girls, I guess it's our turn
4: I was petrified Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side But then I spent so many I
2: Take a look at that. I've got an idea. You actually make money by dressing up like a woman. Oh, sure. You can make a fine living in a pair of heels. Why, Alan,
0: you want a job? <laughs> Alan. His name's Alan. I've been calling him Frank. Sorry, Alan. Alan! Oh, Alan! Let's talk a little bit about Adam. Uh, Guy Pierce. Incredibly entertaining in this, and it's 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 one of those characters that be, even though they're obnoxious and rude and loud, and you should hate them, I think some people will because he's so funny and daring. I think the daring thing helps us because yeah, like it's, he's it's, a very
1: active character, which yeah. considering that uh, Bernadette and uh, Anthony are relatively. Um, uh, passive or receptive characters, having an active, pro, you know, proactive person helps to uh, illuminate the dynamic a little bit better.
0: There was, uh, There's one moment which caused a lot of contention for a lot of certain types of fans. Um, Adam brings out uh, a small bottle uh, with an object inside it floating around. Oh um.
3: uh. That, my darling, is my most treasured possession in the whole wide world. But what is it? Well, a few years ago, I went on a pilgrimage backstage to an ABBA concert, hoping to grab an audience with Her Royal Highness Agnetha. Well, when I saw her ducking into the ladies' loo, naturally, I followed her in. And after she'd finished her business, I ducked into the cubicle, only to find she left me a little gift sitting in the toilet bowl.
2: What are you telling me? This is an ABBA turd?
3: And
0: it's like a little Malteser and... Oh, hang on, that's a, 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 a... What do you call them in America?
5: A, a tiny ball of shit? I don't know Like it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a small ball Of poo in what looks Like a salt shaker with some water Oh god like, There's a
0: word for them What do you eat in the, in the cinema that's um, Like uh, crispy malt Covered in chocolate Malt balls like...
5: Uh, malted milk balls?
0: Oh, fuck it.
5: <laughs> I don't know. It's... It, that scene... Okay, so this uh, is an ABBA turd.
0: Happens. But here's the thing. <laughs> they had to ask permission to use Mamma Mia in at the end of this movie. And the ABBA estate were like... Eah, eah. And eventually the ABBA estate said yes. And this shit, literally, <laughs> is in the earlier part of the movie. The ABBA fan club hit the roof... <laughs> They said it was so denigrating to their, their Agnetha. From the sounds of it, it was based on real-life person that the director knew who claimed that this particular artef- artefact was in fact the real deal. It's so gross and, and weird and fetishistic. And, and
1: bizarrely impractical <laughs> as well. You wouldn't keep it underwater. It would dissolve.
0: I'll be sick right now. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) I'm so sorry. I said that just as he was taking a drink. That was bad timing.
0: And as disgusting as it is to describe it, that's a really good way of describing Adam, that he is the sort of person who'd go, ah, this is mine now.
5: (laughs) Well, I mean, Adam is, uh, Adam's entire, okay, so Adam's growth is basically if Bernadette is the heart of the crew and Anthony is the head because he's always overthinking, Mm -hmm. then uh, Adam is the dick. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> do you or know what red. I wrote down here the body but okay we'll go with that
0: <laughs> I was gonna say id but the dick's yeah. fine no,
1: I, yeah. I, I, I mean, thought exactly the
5: same so a, a rock. Mm. He, he is he starts out the film with clearly very little like personal understanding of who he is but he has created this persona of of Felicia and kind of lives it a lot mm. and by the end of the film like you see him like the the clothing he wears changes throughout the course of the film as he kind of grows into himself um they he starts using Adam more than Felicia by the end of the film and it i, I think it's like important it that is surprisingly relevant to a lot of, like, life. You know, I, I mean, I know a lot of people who have, like, made fursonas and then, like, tried to embody them in some way to make themselves better. And it was, like, it hit on some of those same kind of, like, feelings. Um But, yeah, Adam is just a, a real bizarre character. He, he. I think the, th- the reason I don't hate him is, in the end, he still cares about Anthony certainly, and maybe to a lesser extent, Bernadette, but, uh, well, definitely to a lesser extent, Bernadette, but it's, it's still like the three of them are very together. It is, they, they have have very much bonded over the course of this whole adventure. Um, and he's really, it's his interplays with Benji at the Mm. end that I think really sell me on the character, kind of like growing up and becoming like a, more reasonable person and, uh, even mentioning the ABBA shit thing has like a relation to the character because it is sort of like revealed halfway through the film that he has this and he has it on him as part of an outfit on almost every scene thereafter until oh. like, <laughs> it, it, he's, he wears it as a bracelet. It's a good luck <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, I don't remember seeing it again after they get to Chilipede. Alice Springs yeah. and meet Benji and meet Marion and like the whole the the, the the whole thing comes full circle. The, so the he knocks impli- that shit off. Exactly. You know, it, it took it took a long time for them to get through the persona to get to the real shit underneath. <laughs> um, and then they had to parade that around this a little is... bit <laughs> until they could get rid of it.
0: Um, I mean at least you're being eloquent with it And, and it's a reading and, and there's a literary Feel to this but good god
8: it. Folks I
5: know it's it's yeah. Very crass but it's yeah. crass in the Same way that like the drag Performances are crass right mm. it's Very over the top in your face Like culturally Transgressive mm. in a way that, that feels weirdly at Home with the movie even If it is distasteful Shall we say mm. I think as well, if you look at how
1: um, uh, Adam's growth curve as a person goes, there's also, you you can see that reflected in his performance roles. And what you said before, Victoria, about the the maiden-mother-crone parallel and that, that Adam is, you know, the maiden in this particular trio, he is effectively at the beginning, he is Tick's, Apprentice. His role in their show is a backup performer, and through the uh, the, the however many weeks of performances that they do at Marion's hotel, he becomes a, a an equal part of their. Their trio, and then when they go back to Sydney and do the Mamma Mia performance at the end, it's much more of an equal split between the two of them. They are
0: dressed Mm -hmm. as Agnetha and exactly, yeah. So, Beatrix Bjorn. No, (laughs) one of them is Bjorn. I
5: mean, I'm sure they did it in very Okay, it's Agnetha
0: Bjorn (laughs) Bjalinda. I don't. Bear know. with us. No, no, yeah, no, 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 so no, no. This is School of Movies. Okay. okay.
1: We look things up when we don't know them.
0: <laughs> it's Bjorn and Benny, Agnetha and Annefried.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Agnetha so and Annefried. Agnetha Anna and Anna
1: Fred, um, Which is much more a, a duo, and, uh, you know, they, they both have an equal share in this performance rather than it being uh, Mitzi's game and uh, Felicia just being there as support.
7: Yeah. The, uh,
5: the implication that. I was always under the understanding that in the end it also kind of hinted that they were becoming more like partners too mm-hmm. uh, especially since Benji's always like when are you going to get a boyfriend? Like are you going to have a boyfriend? And then by the end like they are te- kind of textually partners in a lot of different ways and they've grown much closer mm-hmm. and I know that was the reading back in the day when I first saw this that everybody like oh no like obviously the two of them end up together mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Oh. i just That's not an interpretation that I had personally, but I can see how no, that would work. No,
0: I, I had it. I, I, as in, I, I was like, I could understand, like when, it's when, as uh, Victoria said, it's when he's talking to Benji about that. It's almost like Adam, when he cross-examines Benji, is kind of like circling the airport and going, so I suppose you'll be okay with the idea that your dad's going to have a boyfriend. Mm. And Ben's like, yeah, I like Lego. And like I said, like he's not the least bit phased by it. So mm. that almost lays to rest a bit of anxiety in... Adam, which suggests Adam might have been a little bit frightened about that prospect as soon as the kid was introduced.
1: Yeah, feasibly so. I mean, it's it's quite likely that he had a little bit of hero worship going on with uh, with Mitzi anyway. Mm. Um, but, mm. um, but the The, the hero element, that he
0: pesters all the time.
1: <laughs> the you know, there's two <laughs> things
0: I don't like about you, Felicia. Your face! So how about shutting both of them?
5: <laughs> um, That's a very community thing, though. Like, I know people who, that is sort of the like gay friends of mine, that is sort of how like camaraderie is shown. That kind of petulance, that bitingness, it becomes a performance mm-hmm. as part of the 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 closeness yeah. that they share. Well, it's,
1: there's there's an element. To, if I, if I was going to read into that, I would say it makes perfect sense that there would be an element of uh, when you are used to being mocked and then rejected, to have somebody who mocks you. As part of their acceptance of you, and and I, and obviously there are ways that that can be twisted and and become toxic, but it's it's almost like if you if you are both in on the joke and it's it's something that you you both understand and agree to, that being teased can become a connective experience rather than something that pushes you apart.
2: Joint bank account ran dry after a couple of years? I guess I preferred her wedding ring to mine, so no drama. We swapped and called it a day.
3: You and a woman. I mean, what did she used to do for kicks? Put a bucket on your head and swing off the handle? I often wondered why your dance card was so empty. I take it you never got a divorce then. Got any more little surprises you'd like to share with us? Haven't got any kids stashed away out there as well, have you?
2: I haven't lied about anything. After six years, I get a phone call out of nowhere screaming for help, and Christ knows I owe her a couple of favours. I'm sorry that I never told you. I'm not sorry that you're here. Don't worry about it, dolls. I'm as jealous as all hell.
1: But the the element of uh, Adam's conversations with Benji that I, I thought um, uh, kind of fit in with the, the him and um, Anthony getting closer is also shown that, well, first off, as you say, Benji's attitude towards the potential for his dad to have a boyfriend, his concern is he doesn't want his dad to be alone. That's what seems to be coming through or from Or specifically Benji. lonely. Exactly, yeah.
0: Not from a desire to see people paired up, but to desire to see people not be lonely for whatever their reasons. And he's clearly seen his mum happy with a partner Mm. and then kind of lonely without one.
1: Mm. Yeah, although having now processed that and and got past it and moving on. Um, But also because Anthony has now had this opportunity to address his his parental and, and paternal role with Benji, it... Kind of stands to reason to me that that would resolve some of his parental and paternal role with Adam. True. Yeah. Yeah. Which which would then Adam's got to grow his... up because
0: there's a new kid in town.
1: Exactly. And so that opens the potential up for him to have a different kind of relationship with Adam because he's not having to be his dad anymore. And that says as much about what uh, what Anthony needed to be a dad as Adam needing a dad around. Does that? Yeah. Fit.
0: It's also worth noting I'm sorry I'm eating folks I've been on the um I've been on the mic for 3 hours and I am fucking exhausted. <laughs> I always hate it when podcasters chew, uh, eat it, it never it rarely happens on this show but I had to. But when they get to the big show the actual thing that they do that's this big dazzling display of their most flamboyant crazy costumes like they go full on all out like Marie Antoinette and and like these like li- lizard dragon things, and then like the whole of Sydney Opera House that they dress up as.
5: It's it's their it's their trip across the desert. Yes, yeah, it's, it's of the it. the the lizards that they saw that they show a bunch of times in like there's close ups of them. They start out that number yeah. where Bernadette is the sun beating down on the um you know on the sands and like the little birds and stuff that they <sighs> see. They have those bird headdresses, and it's it's almost um showing their entire trip from the end of it back to where they started Going in sydney. Yeah. sydney oh my it, where they, god, of god. That's where they dress up as queens yeah. they are queens of the desert mm. it yeah. is it's a great oh, number
1: see, i
0: That's would love fair. to confront the director with that and have him go oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> victoria saw it so it must be true <laughs>
1: And I love the fact as well that throughout the journey that they, they one or more of them is constantly sewing. They are making the costumes yeah. as they go.
0: They they put in a huge amount of effort. And it, it it's much like the beginning of the of the movie. You've got um Mitzi singing and a hey lady, you lady cursing at your life. Effectively mouthing this is their act is that they mime to Music. He's doing this to a club that are just playing snooker and don't give a fuck. They don't care about this. Effectively, bearing his soul out on stage, mm. and that they end up just sort of like you know shouting bullshit at her, and then uh, um, effectively Felicia comes out to defend her. The mm. you know. The, uh,
7: you know <laughs>
3: What what was that? Show us your pink bits. No, no, I don't and I will. You no, know microphone has
0: a long cord, so it's, it's really that that your right. So like we start with Tig effectively casting pearls before swine, and we end with this amazing show, which I was going to say at the beginning is basically just just the most astonishing costumes you've ever seen, and Guy Pearce's cheekbones. Because, my God, those cheekbones, you could scrub laundry on those.
1: I I am just going to say this, um, because of late I have abandoned all pretense of keeping thirst out of this show. Um, Guy Pierce in that emu outfit, with the blue and black two-tone lipstick and the, Mm -hmm. the feathery hair... Oh, my God.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I'm
5: right there
1: with you, darling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they they do, uh, the the director did explicitly say that he was point blank told by his costume designer that he had to hire Guy Pearce because they needed some eye candy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Which, you'd feel bad for poor Terrence Stamp and uh, Hugo Weaving there. But, yeah, basically, Guy Pearce pulls off a lot of these costumes extremely well.
5: Mm. Hugo Weaving looks absolutely fierce in several of the scenes.
0: Especially that green dress that I mentioned before, which actually is.
5: It's a green dress! Mm. Looks really good on it! Okay, anyway. Oh, took us girls! Watch my jaw!
3: (laughs) Aren't we fabulous? (laughs) Ladies Ladies and gentlemen, Lacerda's Casino, Casino, Alice Springs presents Miss Miss Mitzi Del
7: Miss Felicia Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, and Miss Miss Bernadette Bernadette Bassinger,
2: the sisters
7: of the
3: Simpson Simpson Desert.
4: Desert. Desert.
0: does kind of lead to the, the the bit of, like, really uncomfortable, unpleasant, and intentionally so, uh, moment of the movie, which we've already referenced, which is when they're in Cuba Pedy, this, like, shithole backwater, like, even worse than uh, the place that Bob came from, um, locked in the uh, bus so that he can't cause a scene, um, Adam breaks out, takes drugs so that he's, um, like, because he just wants to have a party and he doesn't care how, and... Um, it's not even really all that relevant, but basically it does indicate that he's maybe not in in total control. He's. Of himself
1: at that point. I would. I would say, looking at this from the perspective of a forty-two-year-old woman who just wants to put the poor boy in a blanket and wrap him up and keep him mm-hmm. safe, um, he's stimulation-seeking at this point. He's yeah. bored. There's there's something going on in his head that is he needs something to happen,
0: and at least he needs a large amount of attention uh, and then you know dresses up as a woman go you know wanders around the town finds some dudes who are drinking outside and as a woman approaches them to see if uh, he can maybe cause a reaction with uh, any of them trigger warning for hateful assault spin forwards 2 minutes if you need to
3: you made to stare we don't usually get women down here oh So what do women do around here besides watching videos? Who's gonna show me the sights? Be my pleasure. Oh. So how about it? Well, I suppose a fuck's now out of the question. Come on, boys! Who wants to see my map of Tasmania? Okay, fellas, let's not forget how to treat a lady. You fucking
7: freak! <laughs> uh, come on, give him break,
6: break,
3: break. Hold him down. Back, spread his legs. Oh, no, please! Oh, oh, Frank! Stop! Come on, you stop! Fuck. What the fuck do you think you're doing? You mean you do know this cocksucker? Get off him, you mongrel! He's joking, okay? Now you let little bugger alone. Get out of there, Bob. Hell out, no, Frank. Put the faggot down and get the fuck out of there, Bob, or you'll be
2: next. Frank! Get out of there! Stop flexing your muscles, you big pile of fudgy turd. I'm sure your mates will be much more impressed if you just go back to the pub and fuck a couple of pigs on the bar.
3: Bernadette, please. Bernadette? Well, I'll be darned. The whole circus is in
2: town. Well, I suppose you want to fuck too, do you?
3: Come on, Bernadette, come
7: and fuck
2: me. That's it. Fuck me. There. Now you're fucked.
0: And Bernadette thusly saves Adam. And it's a heartbreaking scene because Adam, who's been this snarky bastard the whole way through the film, is sobbing his heart out because he felt absolutely vulnerable because they really were going to um destroy him mm. and this is that part of 90s cinema and that that that's the the academy still just throw golden men at which is uh, any um uh, minority that has suffered if you make a film about their suffering it's like oh well done well done the suffering the suffering we felt the suffering so much it was kind of a stage that they got stuck at and i think i've said this before like it's it's a place in the creative path it like it begins with exclusion and then it's like you know making fun of of, of that kind of person and this happened with with Um, African-Americans as well. Then it goes to pity. Then it goes to maybe you can be in the background as long as you don't try and take too much. Then it goes to maybe you can be a support. And then eventually you get your Black Leads. And then eventually you get your Black Panther. It's a long fucking road before we get a trans Black Panther. But effectively, um, this was almost... Like, uh, obviously, Philadelphia was the film that was absolutely f- like fixed on after the 80s was filled with gay panic and the AIDS crisis. Uh, Philadelphia was there to put people straight and say, no, 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 you should feel really, really sorry for, for gay people. Look, they, they can will, be lawyers. They can be lawyers. They're, they're people too. <laughs> hmm. And the Academy loved the they're people too uh, yeah. thing. But ultimately, this is just one aspect of Priscilla mm. which... Uh, like rather than belaboring it the whole way through, they keep the ugliness down low. There's obviously you get the the the, the wind up at the beginning earlier se- section with the way their bus is uh, subject to hate crime. And then eventually it, it ends up in the place which is kind of circling in a legal uh, sense, uh, something called um, uh, gay panic or indeed trans panic which is a defence tactic used in courts to get a lesser sentence for someone who has committed uh, violence against uh, somebody gay or trans. And uh, the, it, it goes thus, I thought she was a woman. And then yeah. when I found out she was not, I was suddenly afflicted with frenzied madness and I, well... I, I don't need to go into too much detail, but ultimately, it's a, a means of excusing the severity of the crime uh, by saying, "Well, wouldn't you, Your Honor?" Uh,
5: look, <laughs> Victoria, It's, it's basically would. it's basically yelling, "No homo!" So loud you kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's a very uh, way of putting it. It's yeah. That's that's honestly that's how I describe it to my students. Uh, I think that it's still technically legal in like thirty-two states. Um,
0: legal in terms of that you can use this defense as opposed to being it being thrown out of court with well no you you <laughs> it's not it's not a good enough reason.
5: There are eighteen states that have banned the use of trans panic as a defense in court okay, so okay. in the United two States. So there are thirty two that still allow it.
0: Um, like we say it's it's a it's a legal strategy rather than um, a, a, a straightforward get out of jail free card mm, sometimes it yeah. works very well
5: mm. yeah it, it usually results in a lesser sentence because it's considered a crime of passion or it goes down as manslaughter rather than murder yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's the you're effectively
0: pleading temporary insanity because of mitigating circumstances
5: yeah yeah Which then feeds into a lot of the cultural narrative around trans women being like a quote unquote, and I'm going to use the the word here, not in the slur sense, but trans women being a trap Mm. for trans men or for for, right for cis men to like fall into and then suddenly apparently being attracted. Hey, lads, is it gay to be attracted to a woman? Um, Kind of kind of thing. Mm. And it's. Uh, Horrible. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's
0: a nightmare, and uh, it's
5: it's,
0: (sighs) honestly, it feels like um, uh, to to counteract the uh, rather more um, enthusiastic trans backlash, just just uh, specifically putting trans people in the spotlight and using your power of celebrity to say they're not women. Yeah.
5: Well, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, the turf explosion. The the
5: <laughs> sorry, the, the
0: the sudden fashionable new way of uh, of expressing your own hatred mm. and uh, yeah. uh ignorance.
5: Well, a lot of it comes to do with the fact that they sort of already lost, at least in America, they already lost the the battle against gay people because, like, you know, we have the right to marry whoever we want, and we have for what, five years now, or six years, I guess, in two thousand twenty one, but. Mm. The, so it's almost like, well, we lost that battle. We can't really fight anymore. So who's next on our list? Mm. And so they go after the trans people. And then it's interesting because most of the TERF talking points are just uh, the same talking points they had when they were anti-gay. Mm. Just they just crossed out
0: the word gay and, just, and switched it for trans. Yeah.
5: It's like, oh, well, think about the children. Like, they're going to be confused. And it's, it's the same talking points that are you know not appropriate that are all based in nonsense that are not it's it's not a discussion that any that they're having in good faith or anything like that obviously uh it's just they're doing the same thing because they lost one fight so they're resetting their sights on a different on a different community
0: (sighs) Okay, so effectively, what then happens is a very tender scene where um, we've already described where Bernadette effectively nurses Adam through his. It's not even. It's not the physical damage he's received so much as the emotional. Like the seed of fear that's been planted in him, which he's been able to avoid up until now. It's suddenly like life has come up and bitten him right in the face. And. Bernadette effectively says, use this.
3: You stupid bloody idiot! I mean, drugs for Christ's sake. Well well, free cheers for you. I hope you're bloody well happy now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's funny. We all sit around mindlessly slagging off that vile stinkhole of a city. But in its own strange way, it takes care of us. I don't know if that ugly wall of suburbia has been put there to stop them getting in or us getting out. (laughs) Come on. Don't let it drag you down. (laughs) Let it toughen you up. I can only fight because I've learned to. Being a man one day and a woman the next is not an easy thing to do.
0: It's yeah. sweet and sad and feels honest. Um, it is absolutely worth noting here. We haven't said it at all the whole way through. It, you know, one of the first things that should should strike you if you're watching this now is, wow, Bernadette should definitely be portrayed by a trans woman actor.
5: Yeah, yeah. I, given the time, like I totally know. Like, I understand, like, why they went the way they did. And Terrence Stamp does, like I said before, a shockingly authentic job mm. of portraying the character. Uh, but it would be a lot nicer if it was, you know, an actual trans woman playing that part. Yeah.
0: And I suppose that you can uh, plead that it is one of the first movies to actually be a drama that features a trans woman in it as a uh, core character, I honestly, I'm racking my brains for any that actually keep a trans woman front and center before this, you know,
5: in a positive light. Yeah. Light,
0: I, I think the, um, the crying game, uh, I, uh, that, that is,
5: uh, well, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, most of the depictions of, queer individuals in, in film And in most media is in villainous roles I mean yeah. like Ursula from the Little Mermaid was specifically modeled after divine, divine yeah. who was a yeah so it, there's there's all of that you know the the queer coded villains yeah I like to be a villain coded queer it's a little different <laughs> but, um, um,
0: but yeah there's also uh, Thomas Harris didn't do the trans community any particular favors by going hey hey, this guy, Buffalo Bill, and his woman suit. Just to, mm. just to really make it feel like the, the sense that there was an insidiousness behind uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the trans experience that, that, that you, you wanted to... The only way to become women would be to murder women and steal their skin. Cheers for that. Thanks, Tommy.
5: When in reality, all it takes to be a woman is to wear a dress and have men ignore you, so... Uh, <laughs> Um you know the, the the day I knew that I had truly made it was when I made a point in a meeting and there was dead silence and then one of my male colleagues said the exact same thing and everybody said it was a good idea and I just said I have made it I have, I have definitely definitely made it and that sounds like a joke no like it no, it's actually happened
6: totally what you mean oh my god oh
7: okay. good
0: time so let's let's end on some high notes cuz like after this moment like I, I, as we said adam kind of tones it down a little bit and they uh they move on to the, the Alice Springs place and the gig and that amazing show and as we said bob gets closer to he's kind of courting uh, Bernadette like a gentleman like he'll turn up with flowers and and the fact that he's like oh yeah yeah Ripper like he he still seems a bit like crocodile Dundee mm-hmm. in the way he's doing that but well, he's he, also a gentleman and yeah he'll,
1: he'll... it's it, it seems as though sort of if nothing else there is a an obvious growing awareness is that the right word for it with Bob so like occasionally he will refer to them as a group as blokes and then he will correct himself mm. um and and things like that but the the relationship between between the two of them is definitely blossoming at this point, and he keeps bringing her flowers <laughs> just to make the point. But this this final section, what I really love about it is the way it, it shows their development as characters by their interacting and relating with other people outside their core group. So you've got um, Bob connecting with Bernadette, and that shows you how Bernadette's changed as a person over the course of the journey you've got adam interacting with benji and how much of an impact that has on him and and how it's um a, how his view of the world has started to shift and his view of himself particularly um and then you've got uh tick connecting with marion his i can't even say ex-wife because they're not divorced are they his um his estranged no wife. wife yeah and one thing i really really love and I, i've got to say i like marion a lot as a character i think she's great um Albeit that we only see her very briefly, and um, honestly, out of all of them, I think Tick is probably the character that I identify with the most. But his his reaction and her reaction when they see each other in the bar for the first time is so lovely because it's like this this couple who were married at one point and aren't any or aren't together anymore, and the the reasons for that go way beyond them falling out of love or anything like that it just they just feel like people who at one point were best friends and they cannot see each other for years and just pick up that sense of being best friends again back from where it dropped Mm
0: -hmm. and I love
1: that I love that so much
0: and uh, Hugo Weaving, we haven't really talked him up that much in this film. He has an incredibly expressive face. I mean, you, you kind of think of him as Agent Smith with this, like, slab of a face and, like, like one eyebrow raises and that's as much emotion as you're going to get. And maybe he'll go, uh, and bare his teeth. And then you think Elrond, where he's like, I was there the day the courage of men failed. So, why don't you, uh, you know, rugby tackle him and uh, throw him into the, the fires oh, of Mount Doom? Be oh, right. So, so, you were there the day the Courage of Elves failed as well. Okay.
5: <laughs> see, I, I just like to think that. Uh, see, Elrond is telling that story. It's and so, it's your. a flashback that is unreliable. So, I just assume he's wearing the flip flop dress. Nice. And he can't move that. Uh, <laughs> and Territ
0: Stab faints behind Yeah. <laughs> So, But yeah, no, his face, he's got this, like, whenever he's feeling anxious, he just has this kind of Arr! look on his face. But whenever he's having fun, it sort of changes, and he, he's not... Like, Guy Pearce is clearly conventionally handsome in sort of this sort of stunning model way. But um, Hugo Weaving has this really... like f- a great physicality to the way he performs. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he he's kind of a, a, a stabilising rock. Mm-hmm. Two other things that we uh, haven't mentioned. The silver shoe scene is one of oh. the most <laughs> gorgeous pieces of cinematography I've ever seen. It's really simple. It's not when I describe it, but... <laughs> Uh, like, halfway through the movie, for no reason aside from he wanted to do it, Adam gets up on the roof of the bus while they're driving along the dirt road in the middle of the desert, dressed all in silver, in this, uh, and sitting in this giant silver shoe, lip-syncing along to opera, with this flowing silver scarf going out behind him. And it is one of the most astonishingly beautiful shots And I'd say it's it's almost worth getting this in HD just for that.
7: Yeah, and those costumes.
0: Uh, Sharon, you particularly like the picnic scene.
1: Yeah, the the so what how it rounds out then is they they do the performances, they do the the run at the hotel, and um, there's a scene in that's kind of in the middle of this. Run of performances where they actually get to go to Kings Canyon, and all three of them get dressed up. They're not in full-length gotier frocks, but they are in extremely fabulous outfits. Um, they're not wearing heels, as I noticed and pointed out, because they fall you immediately climb that in heels. They are all wearing relatively sensible shoes. I mean, you could have
0: brought heels up there with you yeah, in your backpack. Change
1: into when you get there, or
0: your handbag. But
1: so they climb Kings Canyon, then you get this sort of helicopter shot of the three of them stood at the top of the mm. rock, and it it just looks wonderful. But the and it's a
0: right, let's go home situation well, <laughs> as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And then the uh, what's what's kind of led up to this is the the family group of them, which now consists of Bernadette and Bob. Uh, Tick and Marion. And oh, Marion gets this fantastic line as well, but when, when they're back in the hotel where um Tick's talking about all of the things that he assumed would be would go badly when he got here. And she's just like, assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. I love that line. <laughs> I kept that line. I have used that mm. line repeatedly throughout She's my very life, my life. earthy. She is, yeah. Um but the yeah, so there's uh Tick and Marion and uh Adam and Benji are all at this uh this picnic and they're just it's just this sense of wonderful safety for them all and it's in the desert environment which thus far has proved complicated and threatening and difficult and you know even from the sense of we're stuck in the middle of the desert and it's trying to kill us Mm. here's a moment where they're still in that very very beautiful environment but now they are safe because they have each other and they have their picnic blanket and they have water and the you know, all the provisions that they need to be able to survive in that environment. Well they have a guide
0: because presumably Marion knows yes. where they're going.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, there is that too. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the point being that it's just this marvellous moment of security.
7: Yeah. yeah.
1: Separate and apart from their real lives, which they will shortly be going back to, but it's almost like um like a uh, an oasis, I suppose, just this this brief breather where they all get to be exactly who they want to be, and and I love yes. the fact that that Bernadette.
0: Uh, so an introvert's paradise.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that Bernadette, when it comes down to it, despite this long and and um, uh, impressive career that she had with with lay girls, what but who Bernadette really wants to be is just a woman in sunglasses sitting on a deck chair reclining with the people she cares about
0: she's retired yeah, exactly. that's really it that's what it comes down to she's put in her work and she's knackered
1: yeah and, and uh, Tick gets to be a, a dad and to be honest mm. and, and be upfront and authentic about who he is and what he does and have that be so unconsciously and, and naturally accepted by Benji and you, you touched on this earlier Victoria just the the unremarkable nature of how Benji accepts everything that's put in front of him it's mm. its beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful, I love this scene not supposed to know about the Abba show but I'd really like to see
6: it would you do Abba for me?
7: sure
2: you know what I am, don't you?
7: mum says you're the best in the business
2: Uh, Well, your mother was always prone to exaggeration.
4: Will you have a boyfriend when we get back to Sydney?
7: Maybe.
5: That's good. Bernadette is... Figuring out an aspect of her personality of, like, who she is, what she's worth, and who she finds meaning, like, who who is important to her. Mm-hmm. Adam is looking to find, like, himself beyond this campy persona that he has created. And Anthony's just like, can I be a father? Mm-hmm. Which is such a grounded, like, re- they're all, like, really relatable in... Ways that I think a non queer audience could really, like, really was able to, like, kind of understand and latch on to. And one of the reasons why this is known not just as, like, this cult film in the queer community, it is more widely remembered.
0: Still the of Movies is funded by Patreon and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode so thank you to Aaron LeCluze Abel Savard, Alex Outridge Angus Lee Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Salguero, Dan Heppner Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Pearnsey, Neil before Greg Downing, Jameis Enroy, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Seeger, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Clark, Cat Esman, Kevin Vahey. Hey, he's the fellow who sponsored this episode. Lorraine Chisham, Mark Luch, Matthew A. Seabird, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasko, Scott Jacobs, Sarah Montgomery. Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Okay, what this film did for me... For all its dated and troublesome elements, this movie did do some good in a very specific and personal area. See, I saw it on a plane flight in 1994, aged 14, and I enjoyed it immensely. Bear in mind, in the 90s, the LGBTQ scene in regular entertainment amounted to stories of disease and pain and tragedy, like the aforementioned Philadelphia, urging straight people to see gay people as people, or... Quote unquote gay was the punchline to 10,000 sitcom gags. It was just a really easy setup payoff, especially straight men being confused for being gay, which would always leave the audience howling. Like a straight man would do something and then someone else would look at them in a kind of a huh? way.
5: Any of the rest of you guys think that when you first met me? I did, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. No, no, me neither. Although, uh, you know, back in college, uh, Susan Salador did. You're kidding. Did you tell her I wasn't? No.
7: (laughs) No,
0: it's just because I kind of wanted to go out with her too. So uh, I told her actually you were seeing uh, Bernie Spellman. (laughs) Who who also liked her. So... (laughs) What I got to see here, age 14, was Bernadette's pain and loss early on and then her irritation, her sense of humour, her tiredness, her anger, wrath, fortitude, bravery, nurturing nature, vulnerability, melancholy, and eventually hope for the future in a relationship. In other words, this film delivered a multi-layered, multi-textured performance, and although she should by all rights have been played by a trans woman actor, I was able to fully empathise with her at a young and tender age. Bear in mind again, that at this time, anything that was bad in school was dubbed gay. Anybody strange was gay. I was called gay over and over and over again. Bums were shoved against the wall in case of sudden frenzied gay groping, which these idiot boys entertained that homosexuality entailed. Like Homosexuality is like some weird sex frenzy for the same gender as you. I was not in an environment that fostered empathy for gay people. But this film took me on a journey with them. Tick's constant worry, but also his sense of humor. Adam's over-the-top flamboyance, which even I could see at that young age was a front to keep himself defended at all times. The excellent script, which it does have, written by the director and impeccably delivered by everyone.
2: Do you think an old queen's capable of raising a child? What happens if they turn out like Adam? You stuff him back in and ask for a refund. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid little shit. I dread to think what he's up to.
0: The horrible reactions of the rotten people that they meet, the kind, accepting reactions of the decent folk, effectively saying, be like these people, don't be like these people. And finally, Benji's childlike, immediate acceptance, having never been taught to hate and fear homosexuality, despite all of his father's worries. All of this helped me to finish the film resolving to be as accepting as I could possibly be for the rest of my life. It's an outlook which has helped me maintain kindness and strike up lasting friendships and understand a few challenging things about myself. And when our daughter Lyra came to us to announce that she was non-binary recently and that her preferred name was now Willow and her preferred pronoun was now they, it was not unexpected and while it's taken some getting used to and I keep slipping up and using the name that they have gone by for 12 years with us, I continue to try my best to give them a world where they feel as entirely accepted as if they were a cisgender heterosexual girl. I know that my mother would have given me, under similar circumstances, that exact same world. And it saddens me to know for sure that my father wouldn't have. Terrified as he was, that someday I would bring home a boy. Angry enough to threaten me with homelessness, if that should ever occur. He showed me exactly what sort of man not to be. I make sure Willow knows that they have both of our undying support And they continue to be one of the kindest people that I know. And that was what this weird, uneven, beautiful, creaky, flawed, occasionally very crass and shitty, but ultimately acceptance-focused movie achieved, which I think is exactly what its creators were after. Before we go, where can people find the work you're proudest of, Victoria?
5: oh gosh, the work I'm proudest of these days is just getting vaccines into people's arms but, uh, as <laughs> and you far put it as... on
0: uh, video and stick that on YouTube
5: <laughs> I, I, I my, my, my favorite thing now is to send a selfie of myself with like the, the reflective vest and the mask and everything in the clinic and to people and just subtitling it shot, shot, shots <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I This podcast being on here to help you navigate these deserts of queer confusion is, uh, and, and sometimes, uh, very rarely, well, maybe only the once with the monster fucking with, uh, with, (laughs) (laughs) with, with the Guillermo del Toro season, but, um... I'm uh, always eternally grateful to be on the show. So any of the podcasts that I've been on, I can definitely recommend. I think the Wonder Woman '84 one worked out really well. A lot of examples of make it gayer cowards, um, <laughs> and uh, I know you you said you you're referring to specifically the two of you, but willow referred to me once as auntie victoria and for that i would go to hell and back for them so uh i know it's a distance but i'm always here for supporting all 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 three plus indie of you (laughs) if there's any way i can ever do it so i was so grateful to be invited onto the podcast for this show and i as i always am so yeah
0: well, it's been a journey and a ride, and uh, I, I, I think we did better than, than anyone could really expect from, from such a, a, a higgledy-piggledy, trying-its-best um, movie. But uh, thank you both so, so much for coming on this journey. We'll be back next week with another commission. I'm thinking it's going to be Greece. Until then, I've been Alex
1: Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out! <laughs> <laughs> That's not a school. <laughs> I say you played schoolie spoody. you me by doing accents for this bit. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Gotta so keep them guessing. <laughs> so
6: sometimes the
3: Knock, knock, room service. Can't you read the sign? Do not disturb. Please come back in the morning. Oh, ha ha, girls, open the door. Good night, Bernice. Good
2: night, Mitzi. Open
3: the fucking door! Okay, if you don't open the door, I'm gonna sing. I don't care if the sun don't shine, I get my loving in the evening time when I'm with. My baby! That's when we kiss and kiss and kiss and then we kiss some more! Don't ask how many times... Good night, m- John boy. Ah!